Diversifiers, Holly here and we are back with another interview. This week we talk to Angela Coleman, MBE. Angela is the writer of the fantastic children's book, Love My Hair, and she's a champion of diversity in all its forms, so perfect guest for us. Enjoy! Turn out the light, open the curtains Go and do Useful things you Hello and welcome to Diversify. I am Holly. And I am Kate. And it is 2022. We made it. To 2022. To 2022. That is actually quite a surprise. I feel like I've blinked and the last two years have sort of blubbered by. How are you, Kate? I'm good because I've just been sent. This is the first time it's ever happened to me in my life. And I'm not sure if I meant to say this or brag about this, but I kind of don't care. I've been sent some free dresses from a designer because I'm going to an award show on Monday. Very excited. Anyway, I feel special. It's probably never going to happen again. So I'm making the most of it. Don't you be that woman who says it's never going to happen again. Well, it's the first time it's happened anyway. I'm very excited. Well, I'm very, very excited for you. Thanks, Holly. I have got nothing really going on. I'll tell you what though, everybody's been having COVID babies. You're right, Holly, they have been having COVID babies. Four people that I know in the past like month and a half, but everybody's been getting busy. Everybody's been having little ones, which means my career in kids TV is gonna have longevity because there's gonna be more children. Speaking of. Oh, that was excellent. Children. (laughs) And the need to teach the youth to be better than us. I can see both Kate and my guest looking very proudly at me. We have a guest who has written something very exciting. Wonderful, illustrious guest. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Nice to see you, Holly and Kate. I am an author called A.M. Coleman. I have done a number of different things some of which have won me awards at Buckingham Palace, a little MBE and other sorts of little things that you casually get now and then. So so there are lots of things in the community. One of my biggest passions is children and diversity. And so I've written a book and a colouring book and a few other things, started off with poetry and now moving into books. And there are a number of books that are coming. So that's me. I love colouring books. Can I hear about the colouring book? So the colouring book is called an affirmations colouring book and it is for children but interestingly whenever I've done book events the adults are always saying please can I take some, can I take some and they actually sit there colouring them in. Interestingly as well Crayola have produced these colouring pencils which are called skin tone colouring pencils and they actually kind of have a range of about 10 skin tones and they've got crayons as well which are about 15 different skin tones so children can actually color in what they think they look like which is really nice but each coloring page goes through a different kind of affirmation so it's taken from the main book and it gets people to think about whether they're courageous or bold or confident and they can also write about themselves because it reflects the book it's very again it's thinking about diversity so it thinks about challenging stereotypes of boys making cakes and a Muslim girl in a burqa playing football, which I have great discussions with children about. So it's a a great coming book. 
I'm a big fan of uh, mindfulness coloring. I think it's, it doesn't matter how old you are. It's the same with building Lego. I think it's an ageless thing. So what's the main book then that this is the, I guess, sister to? Well, I bought yeah. it. I bought Love My Hair and I gave it to my housemate who works in a children's nursery. And she loved it so much that she took it into work with her the next day and read it to all the kids. Oh, that's so nice. It's so lovely. It's How would you describe it, Angela? The main thrust of the book, it's actually based on my sister, who just loved her hair and loved the way that she looked in terms of being happy with how she was, which was quite interesting because I think when I grew up, that was very different. So for her, how she looked is absolutely great. And she doesn't care what people think about her hair. She doesn't care if it's messy. That's how she's going to school and it's all great. So it was based on her. But then it, it was also makes people think about the fact that everybody looks different. And so it just uses hair as the kind of theme thread to get people to think about the fact that we all look different. And that is actually perfectly OK. And it's, in fact, a really positive thing. So it kind of does two things. One is that it gets people to think about diversity and the importance of seeing yourself in books and also, as I said, challenges stereotypes. And I think one of the key things, I've done lots of nurseries and schools. And what's been really interesting is when, when children going, ah, that looks like me, that looks like me. And you hear teachers going, oh, that looks like me. When they look at one of the children who's got really you know, crazy hair or ginger hair or whatever. And that's really nice because as a child growing up, I didn't see that. I didn't open books and see pictures that I could say that looks like me. So it's really nice hearing children from really diverse communities, being able to say, I can see myself in a book. And as I said, having those lovely conversations when I asked the children, oh, look, is this a girl playing football? Can girls play football? And they all, they all go, oh, no. And then they kind of think, oh, actually, no, in the playground, girls do play. So it's just really nice that, again, just sparking those conversations of what is the norm? What do we consider to be really valuable and good? And the norm and what, what does normal look like? So yeah, that's what it's about. And it uses rhyme. So my sister's dyslexic. She really struggled, well, really bizarrely. In nursery, she was, she was at the top, the best reader. And then suddenly she developed dyslexia, strangely. But Dr. Zeus was great because Dr. Zeus rhymed. So she could just really easily read and not lose confidence in really loving reading. That's the other reason why the book rhymes, because again, it's just to help children to feel confident without even having to think very much about it yeah there's a lot of thought that's gone into that I can see yeah. I'm dyslexic so I'm very on board with that decision you mentioned that when you were growing up you didn't see yourself represented in books and could you tell us a bit more about that when, when my family moved into southeast London in the, the town that we moved into we were the only brown people in the street and the only brown children in the whole school and actually, that was fine. Strangely, again, that was never an issue. So, you know, you'd have arguments. Oh, you're really ugly. You've got big teeth or you've got fat head or whatever. The colour never came into it, which was great. But we did realise, like people would say, oh, can I touch your hair? And it took me a while to realise, oh, they're asking me that because I don't look like them. My parents were absolutely amazing at being able to give that a really really good foundation that helped us to not feel like 
oh, we're really aliens, we're strange, we've got to try and fit in, da, da, da. But it's interesting, I was in the car the other day and I was talking about the podcast and different things that I was doing. And I said to my sister, oh, I'm going to talk about you as usual. And I had another two ladies in the car and they were both brown ladies and they both said to each other, did you used to get a towel and put it on your head and swing it and pretend that you had long hair? And they both said, yeah. And my sister was looking at them like they were absolute freaks. Why would you do that? So it was just really interesting seeing how much things have changed that she completely accepts the colour of her skin and how her hair is, just completely, with no doubt, and thinks the rest of the world is weird for not accepting the colour. But for me as a child, never saw myself in posters, in books. I mean, I had Peter and Jane as a book, and, you know, mum was at home cooking, dad went to work, and all of those lovely things that represent really, really, really stereotypical. Um, And then as I got older, I realised this actually isn't okay, that children don't see themselves in books. And I actually started doing training on diversity. So I'd say to the people who came, I want you to go home and I want you to watch the adverts and I want you to tell me how much diversity you would see and then come back and just talk about the adverts. And they'd all come back and say, "Um, there was a guy in a wheelchair. I remember there was an advert where the guys were playing basketball in wheelchairs and that's the one they would quote. Apart from that, there was nothing. And so we talk a lot about, so what does that mean then? What does it mean that you don't even see yourself one-tenth of a community or on a poster? So for me, I said, this has got to change. And so that was the passion behind, actually, I'm going to write books that actually reflect the community that I'm a part of, the world that I'm a part of, and that I see myself in books and that children see themselves in books. So that was the the motivation for me. And also realising that I had really good parents who helped me. But actually, I'm surrounded by thousands of people who feel really negatively about their community and their society. You know, you think you can think things are really, really subtle, but even though they're really subtle, they can absolutely ruin people's lives, communities' lives by the statements that we make as a society. I think it's really interesting. There's this element of like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's only small. But uh your hair is such a fundamental part of you, like it literally grows from your head. But also I think in general, we know that these external obvious signs of racism or sexism or homophobia are not okay. But the smaller microaggressions that particularly non-white people face, they have like an element of deniability because they're not obvious. So Mm. empowering people to love the things that they get, the microaggressions against them is, I guess, like one bit of defense. It's a way of decolonizing, isn't it? Yes. And and also like, even for like white people, like ginger people get the fun made out of them. And and there's certainly uh, the queer community, hair is a way of self-expression and more masculine women so I think it's so great yeah so and the book has all of that so thanks even though you haven't seen it you can you've just quoted all children in the book so there's somebody with ginger hair there's somebody with bergeron there's somebody with really really scruffy messy hair there's somebody who wants his hair perfect there's a boy who's got really long hair because his hair grows really really fast there's actually a boy in there with no hair because he's got cancer so there's that real reflection of wow some things we have control over in terms of our hair and some things we don't, but actually they are all acceptable and that shouldn't define who I am as a person. But as you say, it grows out of our heads and it's something that's really obvious and it's kind of the first thing that people see apart from our skin colour. I love the page with the child in the burqa because not only does it 
show you that you know this is how some people dress but it also says if you go to her house then you can see it and mm. it kind of explains sort of like that culture as well a little bit to mm. a child that might not have been exposed to it so just I love that page mm. you have worked with children for a long time I was wondering if you'd noticed a change in the way they speak about things over the years I think children have a have a more balanced way of communication in terms of how they might talk about things. But I don't know that that's an innate way of communicating because I think that the community still is not a reflective of our society. So I think children are taught to accept, so they might communicate like that. I don't know that it's actually embedded in their understanding. When you're trying to decide, is this a truth or is it not? You base it on lots of things, not just what your teacher says or what your parents say. And you need all of those environments to kind of affirm and confirm, oh, yeah, yeah, this is the truth. And I'm not sure that we've got there yet. Well, I know that we haven't got there yet. Case in point, it was either Coronation Street or like Emmerdale had their first black family recently. It's like so new. The first black family in a soap that's been on for 50 years is... And even when you think of that, you know, you should, we should be saying to ourselves, that's crazy and ridiculous. How can that possibly even be happening? It's taken 50 years. You almost can't believe it because everything else says to us that that isn't happening. But the reality is that that, that is how we're living. And we like told to just be happy about it. It's like when Jodie became the first female doctor, everyone was like, well, why can't you be happy about it? The doctor's always been a man. You've finally got one. Are you happy? And I was like, well, it's not that sexism is over. So we've given the doctor a woman. It's that sexism has been so bad that there has (laughs) not been a woman. The doctor could have been and should have been being a woman the whole time. There should always have been black people in EastEnders. Mm. There should always have been gay storylines. And this is why I think this book is so amazing is that everything starts with education. The people who are fighting the good fight at, at trying to educate the younger generations, but it hasn't sifted up to the top yes. yet. So the decisions that show representation and create the big stuff that everyone's seeing aren't oh. reflecting that yet. Yeah. That's Absolutely. why I think kids, kids TV and stuff is so important. We're not there yet, but I do think that kids TV in this country and kids literature is leading the way for diversity. And although that's not as like, exciting for people our age who maybe don't have kids who don't get to see it it does mean that we can rest a little easier knowing that the kids of today will grow up understanding more than we did I think that's really exciting I'd hope we were evolving can you tell us about your MBE so I've worked in the community for years yes I mean as I said my parents are really good at kind of the way that they raised us in terms of our outlook on things we just didn't realize that there was so much hate and then what happened as I grew up I realized that somehow communities who are really struggling they're very marginalized but they can become a real focus so I would have these debates and discussions with people and you know black people come to this country and da 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 and they're taking over and da 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 they used to call CB radios. And so you'd connect with people on these kind of CB radios. And I made this friend with a guy who absolutely hated black people and was really, really racist. And I thought, I'm going to teach you that it's all in your head and that you're very stupid. 
he just thought I was wonderful. And it just used to make me laugh because I thought, one day I'm going to meet you and you are going to wet your pants. You will suddenly realise what an idiot I am. So anyway, I just have these debates and, and arguments with people and they oh yeah, black people can't take over. And to do it, and I say, and what percentage of black people would you say are in the UK? Oh, it's got to be at least 60%. Actually, it was 4%. And they were horrified. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. Do your research. And it's, how can you, how can the UK only be 4% of black people? That's not possible because you're taking over. So how can, And so what I realised as I grew up is that my passion and heart was very much for that really, really small percent of people. And so I just started working in my church and with my local authority and doing lots and lots of voluntary work. I used to get jobs and say, I have got to leave my job at this time because I'm going to go and do this project. And whenever I went for an interview, it's great, you can have me. But every Wednesday I leave at four because I do this. And on a Monday I need to leave at this time because I go and work with the homeless. (laughs) And I'm saying this in my interview because I'm thinking because this is my passion. I worked with the homeless for 12 years in central London. I worked in Thamesmead in Greenwich. Uh, Greenwich had one prison then. It now has three. do lots of work with the prison. I run a course in one of the prisons at the moment. So I've just done lots and lots of community work, but it's all been voluntary. I've gone to work and earned money and then kind of fitted all these other things in. Run projects in the summer for children with deprivation. Again, that real sense of this is an injustice, you know. I was able to go horse riding because my parents worked hard to make sure. So I did horse riding and I had guitar lessons and I had, and you know, we would take children to trips. I remember we took them to Diggerland. And it was so funny because the children were coming to the coach and this child said, um, I've never had a packed lunch before. I'm excited about the sandwich. Just realizing that again, when there are small percentages of people and minorities, they don't have the same exposure or privileges of things that are standard. This is standard. And there are whole, whole groups of people that don't have access. And so that was, that was my passion. And I went and did a talk at a church once. This really old man, he must have been 80, came up to me and he said, um, you're incredible. You're amazing. You, know, you need to be acknowledged for this. And I was just like, Oh, that's really sweet of you. Thank you very much. You can donate to our cause and blah, blah, blah. And it's nice to meet you. And then um, he started sending me these emails. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, I've got an 80-year-old stalker. This is really cute. And he kept sending me, the, asking me all this information. I thought, gosh, this guy is really nosy. Mm-hmm. And then I got a letter in a, a December a few years ago. And it said, you've been put forward for an MBE. The Queen wants to know if you would like to accept it. Uh, hello. <laughs> I mean, I know the people that say no because, you know, the empire and stuff. And I was just like, uh, yes. <laughs> um, like, why are you even asking me? So then I went to Buckingham Palace, which was just amazing. It was hilarious because we got there and, you know, there's people always lined up at Buckingham Palace. We turn up and they're all taking pictures thinking, wow, who's this? And it was just an incredible experience. And I know people have got issues about the Queen and Buckingham Palace and all of that stuff. But It was just such an amazing experience. All of the staff were white, as I expected them to be, and all the police were white. We queued up, and I was the only black person in the line. And I was thinking, this is really bizarre. And they were getting all sorts of things, you know, for finding the first cancer cure of blah, 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 just amazing awards. And then when I got, when it got to me, because I, unlike you, Kate, I didn't get sent dresses that I could wear. You should have asked for them. Yeah, I should. Yeah, I just was clearly not plugged into the right places. 
So I was doing my Google of ordering all these dresses and trying to look really nice. And so I had this dress on. And as I got to my turn and the guard just said to me, you look stunning. I've never seen anyone here who looks, you look absolutely gorgeous. And I was like, yes, black people. <laughs> so it was just a really amazing experience. And then Prince William was just, just so engaged. And you can't leave him until he lets go of your hand. You get all these instructions about, you know, not turning your back on him and all of these things. So I was just like, okay, I can go now. Let's go. And he was still holding my hand. And I was just like, okay, can we finish now? I just, I just want to go. This is just too much. It was just a really beautiful experience. So for me, it was very much, it wasn't just me. Obviously, it was everybody that I worked with that made it happen. But it just felt really special to be acknowledged for what you do. It's a really inspiring story. And uh, we've talked a lot on the podcast about the difference between being very vocal about what you believe in and maybe not being so vocal, but just sort of getting on with it and doing good in the areas that you want to fix. And I don't think enough people do that. And the fact that you've just done that off your own back without getting paid for it, without wanting any recognition, I think that's the person that deserves an MBE. So that's amazing. Yeah. We were talking about how you sort of like made it your mission to prove racists wrong and then empower people to be different and stuff. There's this big like, anti-woke push that's going on at the moment by people who have only been told what woke means by Pierce Morgan. And um, in America, it's got really bad. There's a comic book author called Jerry Craft, whose book New Kids, have you heard of it? Literally a book, a young black boy going to a school where he's one of the only non-white people. And there's a couple of bits that go into that kind of politics, but most of the time it's this author's literal experience. And loads of Republican mums are getting it taken out of school libraries because it's teaching, oh, what's the thing they're obsessed with? Critical race theory, which again is bullshit. Have you noticed anyone pushing back on what you're doing? And do you kind of think that this is almost like the last big push from an old guard because we're about to crack through or do you think there's more of a cycle going on here um so I've not had anything negative or any opposition I had one black distributor who said to me your book doesn't just have black children in it I said no it doesn't and he said well you know there are plenty of books that reflect everybody else you've got in your book what we don't have is books that reflect black children. And I said, well, I totally hear what you're saying. And the whole point of doing the book was to support that. But actually, the book is about diversity and it's much more. So we had a whole conversation about that. But I thought that was an interesting approach that black books should only reflect black children. And yes, of course, that's, that should happen as well. But what are you also saying if that's what you're only going to do? And I think in terms of are we kind of nearly there, um, I would say no. In short, <laughs> I think that there's a long way to go. I think that we generally don't have a culture where we challenge things. And so, you know, you might have a spark of something, something happens and, oh yeah, let's all, let's all riot, let's all go to war, let's all make a noise about this particular area. Then it kind of dies down and people are still doing things and you still know about it. 
but there isn't, a, I would say, a general culture or attitude that says this is unacceptable. And the thing is, you don't, we don't want to become a society where we say, okay, before we make this program, have we got someone who is really, really, really puny, skinny, tiny, tiny, tiny? Have we got someone who's large? Have we got someone who's black? That would be ridiculous, wouldn't it, to have this idea that we've got to have every single person. But I think generally on the whole, we don't have a, a general cultural attitude that says this is the norm. It's normal to be here, actually, to still find yourself looking at books and things where there isn't a reflection that's still happening. So I wouldn't say that we're coming through it at all. I think we've got quite a few years to go. And if I was able to produce hundreds of books maybe I could change the world <laughs> just me on my own but no. well you know maybe your thing is you inspire somebody else to write a book which inspires somebody else to write a book which is the real power of representation is twofold one of them is allowing people to seed themselves and allowing the majority to humanize the minorities not even minorities, sometimes it's just women and we're over 50%. And then the other half is empowering the people that you're showing to go and pass it forward and pass it forward and pass it yeah. forward. Yeah. And In I a think way, you well, are writing 100 books. Yeah. You know, what I love is the fact that, especially with children, they have got the power to have those conversations. And it's it's great because I remember receiving a, um, an email from a head teacher who said that this parent had sent this email and said, I don't know what that author said, but my child has so inspired and didn't want to go to bed and had lined up all their teddies and said, I'm going to be a writer and I am a star. And she couldn't believe it. And in another school, a teacher said, do you mind if I bring this child to you before you start? Because she didn't want to come to school today because her hair, she's had to cut her, have her hair cut because it's so awful. Can you have a chat with her and just let her know it's okay? And there was another funny thing where in the book, there's a boy carrying cakes. And I say to the children, do you think boys can make cakes? Should they be in the kitchen? And all the children, of course, do they? No, no. And then they kind of go, oh, yeah, you boys can make cakes. So why is it that we imagine girls should be in the kitchen, but when yeah. it comes to chef level, they're all men? Right? How does that Drives work? me mad. Yeah. So there's so much to do, isn't there? This is my biggest thing, probably. That football men get so much money and footballer women get so you know it's just all of those things that how can we possibly say we're nearly there when things are so not equal yes we love you and we accept you but we're going to pay you 100 grand less things yeah. are starting to get redressed though that especially with if any female footballers are listening please get in touch because i'd love to speak to you but with female football, there is a big push because male footballers are celebrities, right? And that's something that if they can get the profile of the female footballers up, then that's when they're going to start to make more money and get paid and get endorsements yeah. and all that sort of thing. Over the last couple of years, it became a requirement for major women's clubs to be professional because previously, well, yeah. you'd be working as a teacher or a doctor and then you do training twice a week and then you take time off work while you flew and did the World Cup. But it's even worse in America because the women's team is much better than the men's. They bring in more money for the American economy, mm -hmm. but their payment system means they mm -hmm. Unless, but I didn't know this until recently. This is a slight tangent, but football used to be a woman's sport. It used to be considered women were footballers and that was their thing. Wow. 
And then it got ripped apart by a sexist system. So it's not like tennis, for example, where Billie Jean King pushed her way in to a system that never mm. accepted her. It literally used to be that soccer was a woman's thing and they systematically dismantled it. So I mean, when people say that men, you know, it's been around longer and that's why and it's more in the culture, it was there deliberately. It's not an accidental thing. So we have a few questions that we love to ask every guest that comes on. The first question, do you consider yourself an activist? And if so, when do you turn off your activism, if at all? Uh, yes, I'm an activist. No, I never turn it off. We should all be living, eating, breathing our passion. So yeah, in everything that I do, that's what I do. So did training once and I remember saying to the person who's doing the training that means we really think but everybody in your slides looks like da, 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 da. and they were really shocked but I just thought you know you need to think about those things yeah so it's, it's in everything everything that we do I guess I don't have a and, I, and that, that is the way I was brought up but I'm not I'm not so much into the get your placards march, march down the street beat people up knock statues over for me I don't know that that changes the way people think. I'm much, much more interested in, I want you to understand why you think the way you think and why that might need to change, because that's much more empowering. Having the, and I used to do this in the diversity training, having the cigarette box with someone's lungs hanging out saying, this is what smoking does to you. I've never seen anyone pick a box of cigarettes and go, oh, look at those lungs, I must stop smoking now. You know, it doesn't work. So it's much more about education. So that's my passion is being an activist and educate people. Amazing. This is the really important question. We ask all of our guests this question, and it's because we think it gives a real insight into the psychology of your inner self. What's your favourite Disney movie? Um, what do you remember what it's called now? I actually love Disney movies, but the ones I've really loved, it's the ones with the, I can't remember what they're called, the people in Hawaii. Um, Moana. Moana. Yes, that one. And I also love, there's one Princess and the Frog, because she's almost kind of black. Um, <laughs> but I actually love Disney movies. But yes, those ones I kind of really love. I just love the fact that there's just a bit of diversity in them. So we've got one more question that we ask everyone. In this world of horror and pandemic and, you know, necessary learning not happening fast enough and people being hateful, sometimes it can get a bit serious and a bit stressful. So we always like to finish our podcast with a little bit of sunshine. So is there something you can tell us that just puts a smile on your face? It, and this is a very open-ended question. You can give us literally any answer you want. Well, I heard a really funny story yesterday that just I keep laughing about. <laughs> and this lady was, she was waiting for her child at the school and she didn't park at the school because it was really, really cold. So she parked a few roads away and she had her engine on because it was so cold. And suddenly these children and this teacher approached the car with high-vis vests on and clipboards and they knocked on the window. <laughs> they said, um, please, could you turn off your engine because you are releasing blah, 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 blah. And it's not good for the environment. 
And, and this was, apparently this happened a couple of days ago. My friend said, and I just can't stop laughing about it. And she just wanted to, of course they were right, but she just wanted to shout and say, hey, what, it's freezing cold out here. And who do you think you are telling me to turn off my car? And I'm not even outside the school. Da, 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 da. And she said, she looked at the teachers and the teachers were just sort of kind of half grinning and kind of going, yeah, we're really sorry, but you know, and, and every time I think about that, I just want to laugh because it's just so funny. I can just imagine these children going along and you have to sit in your car freezing for the sake of the ozone layer or whatever it is. So, yeah, that's something that just made me laugh. Well, that just shows that the kids are the kids are doing it. The kids are getting educated. They don't suffer any fools. It's brilliant. Holly, do you want to do the plug song? Plugs, 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 plugs. It actually had a famous tune this week. Did you think of that or did that come just, you know, from the top of your it came song from the bank top. memory? I'm a professional musician, Kate. Uh, where can we buy your book? So the best place to buy it is from us. You can either send us an email or contact us through the website. That is the best place because obviously we benefit from that and you get really nice copies. If you're somewhere else in the world, you can buy it on Amazon as well, but we have shipped it around the world as well. We've shipped it everywhere. can't think of a country that we haven't shipped it to. Please, if you're buying it from Amazon, please do leave us a review. Our website is www.angelbooks.net and the email address is contactangelbooks at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, angelbooks2018. Follow us on Instagram and you can message us as well. We are on TikTok, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, Clubhouse. It's quite interesting. Um, so, Kate, what uh, what you plug, you do your plug because you've got a show coming up in Brighton. Yeah, I am doing a work in progress stand up 45 minute show at the Brighton Fringe. And it's been programmed by Laughing Horse and it's going to be at the Quadrant in Brighton on the 1st of May at 8.30pm. And it's going to be at the Walrus in Brighton on June the 2nd at 5.45pm. And it's called Gentrifucked with a asterisk. I'm very excited about it. It's my first full-length stand-up show. It's got some lovely... I've just been nominated for a Writers Guild Award on the front, so hopefully that'll make people want to come, but you should come just anyway. Standard, just standard footnote, I've been nominated for a Writers Guild Award. Um, where can we find you on the Instagrams and the Tweetsies? I'm on the Instagrams and the Tweetsies as Kate Lois Elliott, K-A-T-E-L-O-I-S, E-double-L-I-O-double-T. There you go. Two L's, two T's, my friend. Two L's, two T's. You can find us on Twitter at DiversifyPod, and you can find us on Instagram at DiversifyPodcast. We are on both of those, but we are not on TikTok. No. Thank God, because I imagine the content we would come out with. <laughs> I think we'd be very good on TikTok. 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 Um, well, there you go. We're very good on TikTok. <laughs> it's been wonderful. Thank you for being our guest. Thank you so much for the invite. It's been so fantastic. And I really think you two should both answer those questions as well, actually. What, what's end. our favourite Disney movie? Yeah. Oh, we've done it. Um, it's usually just me saying Moana. What's yours? Mine 
was uh, Beauty and the Beast because my dad loves it and it's his favourite and I used to watch it with him apparently. My other favourite, I really like Mulan and I really like Robin Hood. Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno, no. Is that the, is it really?